Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is the Faith Radio Network. If you're just tuning in, welcome aboard. Okay, I concluded the last hour with our very brief farm report celebrating the sweet potato harvest and my own little home farm celebrating the uh, harvest of the sugar beets in the Margot forehead. For, for, what? <laughs> That's a joke we say. We used to say up there, Fargo uh, Moorhead. Yeah, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> Um, so sorry. Uh, yes, uh, that sugar beets are um, are being harvested, um, and I love that. And Paul uh, notifies me that those of us in the southeast who think that sugar comes from sugar cane um, are it can it can, but also come from sugar beets. So now I'm kind of excited. I've learned I've learned something today. And whoever it is in the 605 area code that texted in that sweet potatoes are simply wrong, I might need more information on uh, your uh, your opinion there because so far you're wrong, and that would. <laughs> Maybe be a good conversation for us to have. So if you're that person, go ahead and text me again at 877-933-2484. Meanwhile, Aaron Judge, if you have not already heard the news, he uh, hit a record-breaking 60-second home run. And um, he's a baseball player for the New York Yankees. And you might say, you know, who cares? Well, I care because Aaron Judge is a brother in Christ and gives all the glory to God. Um, And so there you go. Um, When, you know, when given the opportunity on whatever platform God has provided for you, um, for you to succeed and shine, um, may may you and I um, find ourselves as faithful as this young man. So he hit uh, Aaron Judge hit his 60 second home run during a doubleheader. At Texas, there was only one day left in the regular season. So, you know, tick-tock, the clock was ticking down. And he said, I got to thank God for putting me in this position, getting me um, to where I am, and the constant support of my family, my friends um, who have been with me through it all, coaches from Little League and high school and college um, that brought me to this place, instructed me and helped me. Um, and then he talked about uh, anytime individual records or individual awards are given, it's never the individual. It's never single-handedly done. It's through a group effort, people behind the scenes, family support, friends, my teammates. I don't stand up here and say this is some great accomplishment for me. This is um, something for my family. It's for my teammates. It's for the Yankees. This is a group effort, and I'm happy to share it. So um, I want you to consider today the opportunities that God has given you to shine in your individual environment, um, in your individual profession in some particular way. And then look around and think to yourself, reflect for a moment, who helped make this happen? Who helped me become the man or woman that I am today? Um, whose shoulders am I standing upon? And give, um, give them, let the light shine on them as well in terms of your celebration of the moment. And then be sure to do what Aaron Judge has done, and that is give all the glory to God. If you um, watch the uh, the replay over and over again, which kind of runs in a loop on social media right now, um, before he touched home plate, you'll see him point toward heaven. 
Um, that is a regular home run ritual, which means that 62 times in this year, um, he has been seen to give credit to the Lord before he touches home base. And so just want to um, highlight that today. Um, all right, we're going to talk with Adam Holtz as we do every Friday from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We got all kinds of media headlines to cover. We're going to start with this. scooby dooby doo what are you? Not where, not Scooby Dooby Doo. Where are you? But Scooby Dooby Doo. What are you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a character development in the new Scooby Doo movie to talk about. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, Adam Holtz is back from Focus on the Families, plugged in. Scooby Dooby Doo, not where are you, but what are you? I know, right? I know. Don't he? Doesn't it make you want to like have a giant sandwich when you hear about Scooby Doo? Like I just think about like those giant sandwiches that he and Shaggy were, you know. Mm. I mean, I don't want a dog treat, but one of those big sandwiches sounds pretty good. All right. What is going on with, um, I mean, why are we talking about Scooby-Doo today? What What's going on in the uh, new HBO Max movie? Well, in the new HBO Max movie, Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo, um, Velma Dinkley, and actually before this morning, I did not know Velma's last name, Velma Dinkley is revealed to be gay. And she... Uh, has a crush on a character named Coco Diablo um, and gets all hot and bothered, really. At one point, her glasses fog up, reportedly. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm I'm reporting what the news media is saying here. Um, and I, I guess there, I have about three or maybe seven or eight thoughts on this. I'm, for years and years and years, people have speculated that Velma was gay. So unlike maybe lots of other things where we're getting this LGBT narrative imported and imposed on top of something. This is more sort of, oh yeah, you know, they've rumored this for years. But I think it's still incredibly significant that yet another franchise and another beloved character um, has sort of become fodder for uh, the entire LGBT agenda. And um, I, I feel like, okay, well, we can cross Disney off the list and now we can cross Scooby-Doo off the list. And um, I, I, it's just, it's wearying to me that every time we turn around, it feels like some other classic character in a kid's show is being appropriated for for this agenda and for this kind of indoctrination. Yeah, I, I mean... I... I just, you know, I'm just sort of now in the category of it's just so unfortunate. I mean, why can't there just be a smart girl? Like, right? Why right. can't she just be a smart girl? Right. That's, that's right. And can and can she be a little bit quirky? Not not the pretty girl stereotype without being gay. I mean, in some ways, I think if that was where I was coming from, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll stop there because I don't want to get in trouble. But uh, it's just. I'm I'm weary of the appropriation, uh, but it, it certainly is not going to stop. And if anything, 
it just continues to accelerate. And I think apart from my weariness, my, my thought for parents is this is a conversation that the culture is having, whether we want to have it or not. And we've got to be talking to our children about God's good and beautiful design for sexuality. And I think how it reflects being created in God's image. Like we've got to get back to the core theology of the differentiation between male and female being something that together represents God and creates new life. And that might seem rather deep theologically for a discussion about Velma coming out. But I think uh, if we want to help our children really own a, a biblical worldview on sexuality I think we've got to go further than, well, homosexuality is not what God intended. You know, we've got to have a deeper conversation than that. I would agree. All right. Now let's do something that, um, you know, is positive. Um, a couple of years ago, Plugged In reviewed Bluey. Um, talk with us about Bluey because now we're a couple of years in and Bluey is actually beautifully conservative. Yes. And that is the title of an article written by Brett McCracken at the Gospel Coalition. And Bluey is uh, an Australian show based on a family of Australian blue healers. Which is just a uh, great dog. Let's just say, great. let's just they're get right great. out there and say that's a great dog. They're great, they're great dogs. Uh, my, my grandparents had a blue healer on the farm and it was, he was awesome. Um, and, and they basically say what's sort of radical and subversive about this is that it's an unapologetically traditional family uh, of a mom and a dad and two kids. And we see that sort of normalcy depicted as a good and beautiful thing without heavy-handed politicizing or, you know, propagandizing. It's just, yeah, this is a good thing. And the show really depicts... Uh, mom and dad as being not um, generically interchangeable, that there are things that dad brings to the table, there are things that mom brings to the table, and together there is a, there is a beauty there, and, and they complement each other in a way that, that brings life to their family. Um, so it really, uh, in a very simple way, but a profound way, illustrates some biblical principles without it being a Christian show per se. Um, but uh, it's this is a really nice show. And uh, in the United States, it is streaming on Disney Plus. And I know that uh, at times I and perhaps we have gone hard on Disney Plus. But it is a reminder that if we're willing to do some digging, sometimes there are still some hidden gems to be found, even on networks that we have concerns about. Hey, if you want to just uh, check it out, you can go to bluey.tv, B-L-U-E-Y.tv. Um, all right, Adam and I are going to be right back. He is going to brief us in on a new Marilyn Monroe film and why Planned Parenthood um, is calling it propaganda. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, 
Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We need a strong God, yeah. We need the real God, yeah. The God with the resurrection power. We're talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In about what's going on in the world of media and... um and the arts and entertainment. So um, there's a new Marilyn Monroe film. Tell us about that and, um, and maybe tell us why, um, why Planned Parenthood calls it propaganda. Okay, so there is a new Marilyn Monroe film, as you said, called Blonde, streaming on Netflix. Um, you actually won't find a review of it at Plugged In because it's NC-17. So the big story coming into this movie was really about the film's sexual content. I'll I'll simply say it. we haven't seen it, but it reportedly has a great deal of nudity and there's a sexual assault scene involving Marilyn and JFK. So that's the the big story. In the midst of that, um, the film depicts, and it sort of takes some things that are things we know and some things that extrapolates what might have been in a fictionalized dramatization based on Joyce Carol Oates' novel blonde and um but there is a the implication that marilyn may have had abortions forced on her by her handlers in hollywood and i actually had somebody at work who has had a lifelong fascination with marilyn manson and who is female i'll also say marilyn marilyn monroe not marilyn manson marilyn monroe sorry (laughs) it's okay um i said i said um, Margo forehead instead of yes, Fargo, Fargo Moorhead. So it's totally fine. Go ahead. Um, with Marilyn Monroe. And um, she came to me at work and said she had watched it. And she showed me the scene that we're about to talk about in which Marilyn essentially is having a conversation with an unborn baby. And the baby asks, you won't hurt me this time, will you? And so it actually was a shocking, shocking pro-life moment uh, in the middle of this movie where we have the depiction of a fetus that, you know, obviously there's imaginative and creative license being taken, but but asking Marilyn not to abort it. And the director has come out and said, no, it's not a pro-life moment. It's It's meant to be a depiction of the inner struggles that Marilyn had that, you know, nobody took seriously. But uh, it's hard not to watch it and feel like it's a deeply pro-life moment in a movie that uh, certainly we are not recommending by any stretch because of its explicit content from start to finish. Yeah, I I think, though, um, my interest in in at least having people know about it um, is that so as others in the culture are seeing it, you know, we will be able to engage with them in conversation um, and, you know, and like bear positive public testimony to, you know, yeah, that that really is a person um, who who really is harmed in abortion. Um, And there's a there's an opportunity, I think, to um, to have a whole life conversation um, about a real person, Marilyn Monroe and real children who were conceived, who were really aborted. Um, and and to talk about that. So so thank you for touching on it. Um, I I found a couple of very interesting um, articles at Faithwire that I thought you might um, find interesting as well. 
Um, first of all, Elvis Presley had a half brother. I didn't know that. Um, and he has claimed <laughs> that he has had a near death experience during which he saw Elvis Presley in heaven. Um, he claims to have been dead for 10 minutes. There's so many things we could talk about here. Um, but for those who um, would argue that Elvis Presley is not dead, like, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. <laughs> I just thought this was a curious opportunity to have a conversation. Yeah, uh, there are so many things that that we could talk about here. Um, and, you know, pick one, right? I, I think I will focus on... Um, what Elvis's half brother said sort of afterwards, and his name is Billy Stanley. And this happened in 2018. Um, I think we could have a robust theological conversation about near death experiences. And I find myself theologically agnostic. We don't get much in scripture that lends definitive credence to these being things that we can, you know, authentically cling on to other than, you know, Paul talks about, I know a man who was taken up into the seventh heaven or, you know, that sort of thing. But even that is, that's a, a big reach. So let's maybe set that conversation aside. But he said um, that he heard God speak. Uh, he said, it's real and no fear. And this is where you'll be as long as you believe that Jesus came and died for your sins. So I appreciate that uh, that Billy was very much testifying to the gospel and theological questions about near-death experiences aside, I like his affirmation of of the of the gospel there. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I, I do too. Um, so if you guys want to check that out, you can find it at faithwire.com. Um, Loretta Lynn. Um, I mean, I, we haven't touched on this at all, um, but Loretta Lynn passed away, um, country music icon. And Stella Parton, Dolly Parton's sister, was reflecting on her friendship with the country music um, star Loretta Lynn. And and she has this quote, I know where she went. And Adam, I just felt like this is a good opportunity for us to talk about what we know about the faith of one another and the assurance of salvation. Absolutely it is. And I think country music, which is not a genre that is problem-free in some ways, but there still is perhaps more so than a lot of other genres, there is that connection to the gospel. And we have a lot of people in country music that came up singing in church and that do have that connection. And like you, I love the affirmation of others' faith when they when they pass, and especially if they have been outspoken about it. Um, and, and so I think, just as you said, it's a beautiful opportunity to talk about what somebody else believed. Um, and, and that is true in this particular story about Loretta Lynn, uh, according to according to Stella Parton. Yeah, I love this quote. I'm not grieving anything other than the loss of her. Um, she talks about grieving, but grieving as a person who has such great hope. Um, yeah, I just, um, so really, I just appreciate this this testimony of, of a real friend of somebody, you know, who we know to be, you know, famous and so well known. And this intimate testimony of, hey, I'm not grieving because I know exactly where she is. I know, you know, I know the Lord that she loved and served and I know she's with yep. him now 
um, face-to-face in all eternity. Like, that's just, I love the assurance um, of the hope that's offered there. Hey, you guys can check that out also at faithwire.com. All right, we don't have time to do reviews today, but there's tons of them at pluggedin.com. Adam, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We just love you. Let's just do this. Thumbs up or thumbs down to Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Uh, Thumbs up. All right, thumbs up for Lyle Lyle Crocodile. That's Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. You can find him at pluggedin.com. In a cabin on a hill in Butcher Holler. All right, so we uh, we talk here on Mornings with Carmen about a number of religious liberty headlines from time to time. I have one to bring you um, maybe up to date on or to circle back around to. You will remember uh, a Texas death row inmate um, who, um, who wanted his spiritual advisor to be present with him in the death chamber. And so um, that happened. So John Henry Ramirez, 38 years old, uh, on death row in Texas, has been executed. His spiritual advisor was allowed to place his right hand on the prisoner's chest and hold it there for the duration um, uh, of the carrying out of, uh, of the death sentence. So the Associated Press is reporting that the advisor offered a brief prayer um, as Ramirez took his last breath. So in March, the U.S. Supreme Court um, sided with John Henry Ramirez, saying that states must accommodate the wishes of death row inmates who want to have a faith leader pray and touch them during their execution. Um, After the prayer, Ramirez uh, addressed five relatives um, uh, of his uh, his victim. Um, So um, he talked about having regret and remorse. So... Um, I lift this up so that we can be prepared, you know, to have conversations about the headlines of the day. I'm also, um, I also find myself somewhat anxious in in a positive way, like anticipatory anxiety. Um, I look forward to, in a strange way, hearing the testimony of this faith leader and what their experience was um, because outside of medical professionals and first responders, um, and members of the military, it's actually pretty unusual for a person to be present with their hand on another person when, you know, when life leaves the body. And so um, I do think that there is an opportunity for a conversation about um, being present with one another um, when death comes, however it comes, under whatever circumstances. And by the way, death comes for us all. Uh, Matthew Sorens is going to join us next. Maybe you heard uh, yesterday that DACA, um, Deferred uh, Action for Childhood Arrivals, has been ruled illegal, and yet um, everyone currently under DACA is going to be continued to allowed to stay in the United States in relationship to that. Matthew Sorens joins us next from World Relief and the Evangelical Immigration Table. We're going to talk about that headline and also how um, most American evangelicals feel in terms of immigration. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Hey, continuing our conversation this morning here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Faith Radio. Uh, Matthew Sorens joins us now. Um, he heads uh, he heads up the Evangelical Immigration Table. He also serves with World Relief. You can find him on Twitter at Matthew Sorens. Hey, Matthew, welcome back. Yeah, good to be with you, Carmen. So um, help us understand and respond to this LifeWay research that you and I have both looked at um, in terms of how American evangelicals um, feel about immigration. What kind of approach are most evangelicals in the U.S. looking for? Yeah, you know, so uh, World Relief and, and the Evangelical Immigration Table, we worked with LifeWay to develop the study, and we actually had done so back in 2015, a, a similar set of questions. So we were honestly really curious, how have evangelical views changed in seven years or so? Um, I genuinely wasn't totally sure what to expect. I mean, I, you know, I, I, if they would become more friendly towards immigrants or maybe less friendly. What was really encouraging to me is um, we asked, started by asking folks, again, self-described evangelical Christians, and we also asked them some questions so we could look at people who actually have evangelical beliefs, whether or not they use that term of evangelical. Um, and we asked them, you know, what do you think of the, the number of recent immigrants to the United States? What what does this represent for you? And the top response in 2022, well, let me say first, the top response in 2015 was um, a, a lot of evangelical Christians, almost half said, well, the arrival of immigrants to our community is a drain on our economic resources. That was 48% in 2015. That fell really dramatically. Um, it's down to about 33%. It's a pretty significant shift. Now the top response among evangelicals when they think about immigrants is, well, this is an opportunity to show them love, followed by an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. Both of which are responses that for, for us at World Relief, that's certainly our worldview, that we think, of course, there are other dynamics around immigration. There are economic and security questions that are worth considering. But we want to first and foremost look at this as an opportunity for us to be the church and to to live out the um, the mission that God has given his people. So we were really encouraged um, by that change. Um, and it also makes sense because, you know, I think most people listening, uh, you know, who may have at one point thought, I'm not sure if that immigrant might, you know, take a job from an American. It's harder to think that when, you know, most of us have gone to a restaurant that has to close three days a week because they can't find enough staff or we all are aware of inflation because there's labor shortages. It seems a little bit less, you know, the, the labor sh- issues most Americans, I think, realize right now we would actually really benefit from some more immigrants in the economy who are able to fill key spots in our economy. The- yeah, I mean, I just think about, you know, my own life and um, people who are first and second generation immigrants who I, you know, who I work with, who I, who you know, who I live with, who I labor among, who I worship with. And um, and I, I have to be honest, you know, Matthew, when I think about this conversation if you start thinking about individual people who you know and rely on and love, it changes, I mean, like literally changes how you feel about it, right? And so yeah. my theology of um, of who God is and who people are individually and um, and what God wants for individuals and their families and, and what God wants for nations um, and people groups, like when I start thinking, when I really start thinking about my theology and what I believe, and then I apply that to the realities of life today, you know, I come out on the side of um, grace. Yeah. <laughs> grace. That's that's where I come out. 
Well, and I think what we're encouraged by with this poll is more and more evangelicals are apparently thinking that way. And and more evangelicals, not still not enough from my perspective, but more evangelicals are thinking about this as a biblical issue as well. Um, you, you know, I've probably shared the stat from our 2015 poll on your program before that back in 2015, it was only a Fifth, only 12% of evangelicals said they thought about immigration primarily as a biblical issue, which is something we've been working as hard as we can to try to change because we really think that it is a absolutely it's a personal and relational issue. It ought to be that, but it also ought to be a biblical issue. Um, so that number went up again, not to 100% where I think probably it should be, but up you know up about 20%. And and a bunch of other people said, well, the Bible is one of the factors influencing my views. Um, so most evangelicals now say they, they're very familiar with what the Bible has to say. And a lot more evangelicals say they've actually heard about immigration at church than, than did so a few years back. That also seems to have an influence on evangelicals' views on public policy questions. So the Evangelical Immigration Table, when we launched back in 2012, we uh, we did so with six principles that we think are, you know, they're balanced, but they're all rooted in Scripture. Ideas like we should respect the dignity of every human person as made in the image of God. We should uh, ensure secure borders. We think that's an appropriate responsibility of government. We should honor the law. We should be fair to taxpayers. Um, we should keep families together whenever possible. And we should have a path towards legal status and our citizenship um, for those who want to pursue it. And what was good from, from my perspective to see is all those positions are supported by the vast majority of evangelicals. Um, at least the, the lowest of those was 78% support for a path towards citizenship for those who are in the country unlawfully and want to meet certain requirements and earn citizenship. That's, um, you know, almost four out of five evangelicals. You can't get four out of five evangelicals to agree on, on some pretty basic theological convictions. So um, we're, we're actually doing pretty well if there's that level of unanimity on, among evangelicals, in my view. All right. I'd love to talk about um, DACA. Love to talk about, um, you know, uh, deferred action for childhood arrivals. Talk with us about um, uh, about what happened yesterday um, and how it relates maybe to, I don't know, legislation that's out there or um, the status of people here currently um, and maybe those who uh, who are still arriving as children. Yeah, that's a great question. So DACA stands for Deferred Action for Child Arrivals. It's a program that was put into place by the Department of Homeland Security under the Obama administration. Very importantly, uh, not by an act of Congress. So this is something that the Obama administration believed believes I believed that it had the authority to do, to basically say, well, we can't give these people. These are what sometimes called dreamers. They're immigrants who were unlawfully present in the country but were brought as children. So, of course, they didn't make the choice to either cross the border or overstay a visa when they were five years old or six years old or whatever. So the Obama administration said you can apply for a temporary, uh, basically, protection from deportation and then work authorization and renew it every two years as long as you're staying out of trouble. And that's been in place for 10 years now. And then last summer, a judge down in Texas ruled that actually, no, the Obama administration did not have the legal authority to create that program. And what we found out this week is a, an appeals court, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, agreed, for the most part, with that lower court in saying, uh, yeah, you did not have the authority to do that. Now, what they also said was, because this would have such a profound impact on, at this point, it's about 600,000 people, and actually not 600,000 kids, because they were kids when they came here before 2007. But if you do the math, you know, many of them are in their 20s, 30s, even um, some of them are in their, their young 40s at this point. 
and many of them, about a third of them actually have children of their own at this point. So we're talking about families who, you know, their lives would be very disrupted if you say you can no longer work legally after you've been doing so for 10 years. What the court said is we're going to hold the effects of this decision until we bring it to a final conclusion through the appeals process, which will probably end with the Supreme Court sometime in the next year. But there's a really high likelihood that whenever this gets to the Supreme Court, and it could be, you know, probably next year, it's hard to tell for sure, you'll have about 600,000 people in our economy who are currently lawfully present in the country, who are currently authorized to work, and most of them are indeed working in some really important roles. I mean, I have friends who are pastors whose church can employ them legally because of this program who would not be allowed to work lawfully anymore. And mm. you can think about the ripple effects of that on their their own kids, on their 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 you know, their whole families, their churches, their whole communities. Um, and it's, so it's something that we're really concerned with. And in my mind, the solution is not a clever legal argument. The solution is actually what probably should have happened in the first place, which is Congress could step in, solve this by passing legislation. And then there's not the debate of whether the executive branch has this authority or not. It's very clear that the Congress has the authority to do this if they want to. And there's legislation, uh, Senator Graham from South Carolina, Republican, Senator Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, have co-sponsored a bill called the DREAM Act that would basically do legislatively what the DACA program does, but actually a little bit better because people would be able to earn uh, permanent legal status and then eventually citizenship over time if they meet certain requirements. Um, the, the DREAM Act, um, something that you can find more information about at evan- Evangelical Immigration table.com um, and want you to to certainly check out um, the dream act and encourage members of your you know your representatives you know like to to at least read it and be aware of it and support it if they feel um, so inclined um, uh, the governor of New Hampshire has deployed members of the National Guard to assist at the southern border he says it's in response to a federal mobilization order from the Department of Defense. We're going to talk about what's happening on the southern border uh, next in our conversation with Matthew Sorens from the Evangel- Evangelical Immigration Table. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Matthew Sorens is here from World Relief and the Evangelical Immigration Table. Matthew, what is, uh, what's happening on the southern border? And maybe you can reflect uh, with us a little bit uh, in terms of you know, there's just very political actions of, you know, both busing and flying um, uh, people who have crossed the border to states that, um, you know, certainly identify as uh, sanctuary in nature. But the confusion related to that in terms of information supplied to them, um, it gets another opportunity for us to distinguish, make a very, very, very clear distinction between refugees and um, people arriving seeking asylum. Two very, very different realities. Yeah, that's right. So under U.S. immigration law, um, this is a law that's been on the books for decades now, um, a refugee is someone who has fled a credible fear of persecution for specific reasons 
they're identified overseas, uh, a very small share of them are then, you know, vetted and flown to the United States and arrive at airports and organizations like World Relief or our partner Arrive Ministries in Minnesota or others are the ones who meet them at the airport and you know, help them with local churches adjust to life in a new country. Asylum seekers are, uh, they're related to refugees in that they are people who basically claim to be refugees who didn't come at the invitation of the U.S. government with a visa or with a, you know, flown by the U.S. government. They made their own way here, whether on a temporary visa of some sort that they were able to obtain or what we're seeing in very large numbers now is people who show up at our borders. Now, it's important to know that U.S. law allows that. Um, people could debate whether it should, but it very clearly does. And I think it is important that we, you know, we have this principle in U.S. law that if you can prove that you fear a credible fear of persecution, that your life is at risk, we won't send you back. Where that's very challenging right now is we've seen an incredible number of people showing up at the U.S.-Mexico border in the last year. And it's important to know not everybody's showing up claims to seek asylum. Um, some people are trying to sneak into the country unlawfully. Many of them, frankly, have no idea what the rules are. They just heard the U.S. was a, comp- was a country that would help people in a hard spot. And hard spot could include people who genuinely qualify for asylum, but it also could include people fleeing uh, extreme poverty, which is understandable, but not the persecution that would qualify you for asylum. What we've seen in the last few weeks, especially, is a huge increase in the number of Venezuelans in particular. Mm. If anyone has been paying attention to the news really over the last several years, six million people have fled Venezuela. The vast majority of them have been in Colombia, in Peru, and other neighboring countries in South America. But we've seen a a significant number, thousands of people make this very dangerous journey all the way up through Central America and Mexico. And whereas the U.S. government right now, if you're Guatemalan or Honduran or or Salvadoran, most of those individuals who try to enter are being just turned right back to Mexico. In fact, um, not even formally deported because of public health rules, still this rule called Title 42, they're just turned right back over and some of them try again, which is why the numbers are a little bit inflated by people who come over and over and over again. But if you're Venezuelan or you're Cuban or you're Nicaraguan, uh, in part because Mexico won't actually take those people back, and in part because they have pretty a pretty good likelihood of winning an asylum case. Last mm. year, about three quarters of Venezuelans uh, who made it through immigration court, which this is people who probably entered three or four years ago because there's an incredible backlog. But about three out of four Venezuelans won their cases, which is to say they demonstrated under the terms of U.S. law that their fear of persecution was credible. And that's, you know, we can believe that if you've read anything about Nicolas Maduro and his government in Venezuela and what they do to their own citizens. It's a horrific situation. Um, Where this comes uh, complicated is what do you do with people while they wait up to three years for an asylum hearing? And what the Biden administration has done, not in all cases, but in many, is release people into the country. And so they're not, you hear like, well, we're shipping illegal aliens to, you know, Illinois or New York. Actually, you're lawfully present in the country while you're pending a a disposition on your case. And that's the people that we've seen in Chicago, where I live, uh, being sent in buses from Texas. Um, You had people flown uh, to Martha's Vineyard in in Massachusetts. I would say I have a sort of a, a nuanced view on that. Frankly, there was people coming on buses to Chicago well before the state of Texas was paying for it. Mm-hmm. They were having their, their bus tickets paid for by their relatives. If the taxpayers of Texas want to help with that, I think it's kind of generous. Where it's prob- a problem from my perspective is if they didn't want to go to Chicago or, and, you know, particularly not very many people wanted to go to Martha's Vineyard because their cousin was living there. It's, you know, a wealthy, very, very wealthy place. And there was no coordination. So people showed up, and there's a lot of evidence now, especially with the Martha's Vineyard situation, they were they were misled. They were told things that were not true at all. 
Um, and that to me, it, I mean, it, you know, I understand there's politics and I, I try not to get too deep into the political posturing on this. Uh, but we should not lie to people. We should have the perspective that these are people made in the image of God who have actually suffered incredibly. By the point you get to that U.S.-Mexico border, you are suffering something to make, you know, to inspire you to make that long journey in Venezuela or in Cuba. It was probably a very awful trip. The things that happened to people in, during that trip, including mm-hmm. uh, abuse, sexual assault, just horrifying things. And then to get to the United States, this country that has so many resources and so many people who want to help and then be misled is, you know, it's not treating people the way that I think that God calls us to. And I, I think that was a little bit a little bit disappointing. But I would say, like, you know, World Relief, our team has been working with others in the city of Chicago to help the people showing up at Union Station in Chicago and helping them connect to local churches and places to stay. And most people who wanted to go to Chicago, it's because they're, you know, they know somebody in the Midwest and this yeah. is getting them towards their destination. And again, they will then have a court date. Some of them will win their asylum hearings. Many of them probably will from Venezuela. Some won't. And then under the law, they may need to be deported, which, to be very very honest, is hard because the U.S. doesn't have a diplomatic relationship with the government of Venezuela right now. So it it makes it complicated even to carry out a deportation. Um, But there are, you know, the U.S. government can work diplomatically to do that when it determines it's necessary. But these particular cases like Venezuela and Cuba are different than most other countries, precisely because of the nature of their governments. And the, yeah, and the very um, legitimate asylum claims that people are making um, from those and other places as well. Matthew, it's always uh, so helpful to talk with you. Um, you're, you're, you're balanced, um, you're well-informed, um, you come with uh, you know, a genuine, biblically-informed faith perspective. Um, and so thank you. Thank for you for your willingness to continue to talk with us and to, um, you know, go back far enough in the conversation to, you know, collect people who maybe are just arriving at the conversation for the first time. Um, I just I really genuinely appreciate it. So thank you so much for your partnership. Yeah, I was happy to do it. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. You guys can find um, lots of resources for these conversations at Evangelical Immigration Table. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, good morning again. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed any portion of this program or you thought, hey, I got a friend. I got a mom, I got a sister who might uh, appreciate hearing that. You can share it with them. Um, It'll be posted as a podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. You could subscribe to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And all of the links and articles and books, uh, movies that we discussed today, all of those links are in the show notes when you, um, you know, when you collect that material at either MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. So there you go. That's how you get the links as well for the show. Um, uh, this is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Today is Vladimir Putin's 70th birthday. <clears throat> Not going to sing to him. Um, did enjoy singing last night to, oh, Lou. Luann, Llewellyn. Levon, I believe it was. Levon! Levon. Happy birthday, Levon. I think she's 87. Does that sound right? Oh, uh, mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. remember the eight Levon, things. Yeah. I bet you're listening. So happy birthday, sweet friend. Um, we, um, we are going to um, enjoy the Lord this weekend. I'm encouraging you to 
have some Sabbath rest. Um, get outside. Enjoy the um, enjoy the rain if it's raining. Um, enjoy the sun if it's shining. Uh, enjoy the day. Um, this is the day the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Such a privilege and a pleasure to spend this time with you. So thank you so much for including me in your day. You could be a Faith Radio ambassador by sharing the show with someone else. And don't forget to come to MyFaithRadio.com and share the information about your pastor so that we can honor them this month. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.